This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another very special episode of The Comics Collective, the weekly show where we talk about a comic or graphic novel of our choice, and sometimes we get to talk to the very awesome people behind the scenes making these comics. I'm your host, Anne, and I am joined today by the wonderful writer-illustrator Patrick Horvath. Um, Patrick, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me on. It's a pleasure. Yeah, it's we've been talking for a little bit before the show started, and I'm so excited because for anyone who might not know and anyone who hasn't picked the book up, despite me begging you to, um, Patrick is the author and artist behind the recent comic from IDW, Beneath the Trees Where Nobody Sees. And it is, um, well, I, I could talk all day about how wonderfully gruesomely adorable this comic is but i think patrick you might do it better than i would would you like to <laughs> to pitch to the audience who might not be aware of what this comic is what what exactly is the insanely fun and crazy pitch behind this comic um so the comic basically tells the story of a uh, set in this town called woodbrook and it's populated mm-hmm. by essentially like storybook animal people um, that are just sort of living their wholesome lives. Main character is Samantha, who is a bear that owns the hardware paint shop in town. Uh, it also turns out that Samantha is a serial killer who has been thriving for decades. And um, and she's done so, you know, by the grace of the rules that she sort of set for herself. Um, and the and the story that we follow uh, in this, this is like a limited six six issue series. And uh, the story that unfolds is basically her very carefully constructed life gets kind of rudely upended. Uh, and we watch watch this um, high functioning psychopath sort of try and ride the wave. Oh, I, I love it so much. <laughs> I tell you when I because you see the cover and you see this wonderful image of just someone dragging some a bloody sack through the trees and you're like i need to know what this is about but then you open the first page and i what you said immediately the first thought that went through my head was every single storybook i ever read as a child where i'm like i could have pulled this off my like five-year-old me's bookshelf and i would have no idea until you get to that reveal halfway through the issue and then you're like <laughs> oh okay very cool so um i think the um the big question that i've been wanting to ask is like i really want to know how this book came to be what was your inspiration behind this um, so the the main inspiration came from a drawing I did like maybe seven years ago, and it was literally just like an it was like this bear person walking around in like coveralls um, in the woods with a bloody axe, and that was it. And I just drew it just to draw it. Had no idea, you know. Even as I was drawing it, I didn't know what it was going to be. And then I finished it, and at you know, and I did just like random daily drawings as a practice for like years and years and years. It's just something to do to you know, practice and also mm-hmm. just kind of have some fun. And I tend to draw things that these pictures sort of come out that are sort of, they obviously look like they're, they're snapshots and there was obviously a before and an after. Like you have, you, you for whatever reason, as I'm drawing these things, I, and I don't even know the answers to them, but I think a lot of people respond to them in the sense that they, these weird little drawings I do kind of are already building a weird little story. 
that they fit into. And so with that one with the bear and the axe, it was it, honestly, the story just sort of came to me within minutes of just the just the main strokes of like, mm-hmm. it'd be kind of interesting if it was like, you know, uh, a serial killer story set amongst like animal people. That would just be really interesting. And it was very cutesy, but also just really, really grounded in the violence. And I mm-hmm. thought that would be totally interesting, compelling thing. And then the uh, that sort of glommed on to my love of like Richard Scarry children's books and busy town and things like that. And, um, and also the weird, like points that are brought up amongst the art and Richard scary stuff where it's like, like they, you know, if you see the, the cover for issue two of beneath the trees, there's, it's very specifically about, uh, you know, shows a butcher shop, um, you know, very prominently. And so like, that's straight from Richard Scary's Busy Town. There's a pig that like works at the butcher shop, uh, and I've changed. That's not a pig that works at this one, but anyway. But it's just the concept of it alone is like, are right. they not thinking? Like, is it, and then and then there were pets in the in Busy Town, and I was like, okay, like I don't, I don't want to. I'm not. This isn't like a one to one to Busy Town by any means, but like the idea of having animal people mm-hmm. being like you know a sentient thing, and then also just the animals themselves being being a part of this world as well and there's obviously corollaries and stuff and so like that just really got my wheels turning and so it's and, and you know it, it that does play into issue one a little bit um and that also and it, i carry that forward as well because it was very fascinating to me so like unpacking that sort of weird stuff but also tying it in with the serial killer story mm-hmm. of these you know this killer amongst these cute sort of people that were and the other thing with busy town is that it's very much like a it struck me as like a idyllic sort of post-world war ii town you know what i mm-hmm. mean like um everybody has their job and they all kind of fit into it and so it was and it was also <laughs> to have a character who fit into that and was just hiding in plain sight like this monster that's hiding in plain sight and then she kind of already sees it everything for what it is and is kind of a step or two ahead of everybody and that's kind of how she's been thriving so so that was the main that all that stuff was running through my head um mm-hmm. as i kind of started putting it together but the main impulse was just that drawing the the main inspiration was that drawing and then it and then once i kind of started you know i, I mean like as soon as idw was interested in the pitch um i really just kind of you know put it all together in like a little bit and then and here we are. Oh, I'm, and I'm so glad that we're here. I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Every time I think about this book, I just start smiling like a, like an idiot because it's just so, so insane in all the best ways. And I, I love you talking about like, it's, it's those questions that like these worlds like bring up where it's like, Hey, look, they, they don't, they're not people, but they do people things. And surely yeah. those, those dark parts are, are part of it. We just don't see it. And so I love getting to explore that a bit. Um, going back just a little bit, talking mm-hmm. about the pitch to IDW, because my co-host, Alice, and we talked a little bit about this before we started recording, wasn't wasn't able to join us today, but he did send me a question because he said to his understanding that this was your first, you know, major published comic that you wrote Andrew on your own. And mm-hmm. his his um, beautifully phrased question just consisted of three words. Um, How the hell? 
question mark. <laughs> so um, can you talk a little bit just because um, I'd like to give everyone out there listening just kind of a, a background of you and how you, you came sure. to be here. Yeah. Um, how did this come about? So like, so how far back do we want to go? Um, as far back I mean, as you want to go. We Well, if you want I, I mean, I, I would say in terms of so it's interesting that like I'm in my 40s now. Uh, and I've had aspirations to make comics since I was a teenager. Um, I also around like the age 18 was like, I really want to make film. I want to make movies Mm -hmm. and I've enjoyed, you know, a modest sort of, um, career and doing indie horror stuff. Uh, and so I've written and directed on several indie features. Um, and I've enjoyed it quite a bit around movie number two or so I ended up um, realizing that it's just like, I have this other creative itch in my body that I do, I have to do. I'd like, my brain needs to create stuff. It mm-hmm. takes so long to make movies. There's so many people involved and I love it, but it's, it is very intensive in many different regards. So like, oh, yeah. I started, um, this is around like 2010. I started mm-hmm. like drawing again and I hadn't drawn for like almost a decade, like other than little doodles. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and like I mentioned though, like when I was younger, I very much like, like I made little comics with friends, um, and I drew a bunch. I never took any classes necessarily outside of like school art class or whatever in like high school. Um, and so it just kind of struck me that I was like, well, I'm not really feeding this part of my brain at all. And I'm, you know, and it's hungry. So like mm-hmm. I, uh, I really started getting into it and getting a lot more serious about drawing, like drawing every day. Uh, around 2010 and then um maybe like a year or two into that i ended up doing a comic for this documentary this documentary is about suicide and it's called don't change the subject um and i was approached because the the documentary essentially um uh takes on the subject of suicide you know head on mm-hmm. uh and does so through a bunch of different creative disciplines and my segment was initially going to be about drawing and doing comics and so I um I was I basically was tasked to make a comic about suicide, um, and we were talking about this before we started recording. But it's base it's interesting because it's like very much a comic. What I came up with was like a thirty-ish page comic about that was also set in an animal world. <laughs> this is like two thousand twelve, <laughs> I think, or no, this is like two thousand eleven. Wow. And so uh, anyway, and so and it's set in like an animal world, sort of similar to this, but it's actually more like a city. Um, and the only thing that's really naive about it is that like suicide did not exist. Mm-hmm. And so, and the main storyline is this character who decides that they want to end their life and it's them and nobody else can grasp at all, like why they would want to do that. And so it was basically like that. I mean, that was the story. Um, I had a good time working on it and it was really well received by the filmmakers, but they had the hardest time telling like showing me making a comic because it's a very not a cinematic process of you just at a table so like they we got through it and then they were like this is great like this is incredible we don't uh know how to really show like the finished comic in a good way in the documentary so we're going to have like they took copies and they sold it as they went on the festival circuit with it and and then you know screened it around all over different universities and and stuff but they um they I also ended up doing like animation <laughs> for it for the film as well for these little interstitials throughout 
And uh, but that was the first thing that I think as an adult I wrote and and drew. Mm-hmm. And it was the same thing. It was like ink and watercolor. And then, um, and this, I mean, like, and again, like that was like 2011. So like, and I'd been drawing pretty much every day since then. So it's a lot different looking <laughs> than, than I draw now. <laughs> um, like I've definitely grown as an artist as, as one does, mm-hmm. but, um, but it was, it was, yeah, I would say so. And then after that I did like little zines, uh, com- just little small zine comics and, uh, and then I started doing stuff for writers as well, like maybe around 2014 and then again in like 2020. Um, and so, but, so I was, had a foot in the film world as well yeah. though. And that was, you know, beyond just writing and directing, I also would do like effects design work and just bizarre, like a lot of storyboarding, mm-hmm. um, stuff like that. And so that's sort of the, that's my, that's my background. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, talking, you, you mentioned the uh, the art being inks and um, watercolors. Is this mm-hmm. is this comic done that entire way? Yeah, and it's actually, and I say that just because I'm I'm, I'm technically, if anybody's being a nerd about it, I'm mm-hmm. using gouache, and I'm using gouache as watercolor for the most part. But mm-hmm. I'm lazy, and I don't want to have a whole gouache set and a whole watercolor set, so I like to just use use the one for both. Um, but, um, but yeah, the whole thing is ink and gouache. Um, and I really love the fact that I get to work traditionally. Mm-hmm. I mainly do it through efficiency because I love the effect and I love the look of it. And so if I'm going to work digitally, I would want it to be, I would want it to kind of look like this. And whenever I do that digitally, I have the hardest time mm-hmm. being satisfied with the result. And it takes me forever to get something that I like. And I'm very envious of those that can work digitally and do it quickly. Um, but it's just, that's not me. So it's faster for me to do it the, this way. Mm-hmm. I do relish the fact that I don't have to look at a screen while I'm working on the page. <laughs> um, and that is awesome. Like I was haunted by, I had a film professor who later on had just sort of like this is like years and years later Mm -hmm. but had posted like on uh like on twitter or something of just like i don't want to spend like the rest of my days having to look at a screen like i want days where i don't look at screens and i was just like yeah yeah i I want that (laughs) like i really want that and especially if you're working in in film or whatever it's like that's just non-existent you know that's you're gonna have to look at a screen and i was just like oh man um, so then, yeah, anyway, so I've really just been leaning into painting on the page. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's incredible. I don't think I've talked to a lot of artists who still get to work traditionally in comics. And I think that's, that's really incredible. And I think the work is definitely paid off. It has that very I authentic feel that. to it. Oh, thank you very much. Um, so I, I want to circle back to just talking about how you, you're writing and drawing this comic at the same time. Um, mm. Your process for that? Do you write yourself a, a script first, or do you just kind of draw and let the story take shape from there? I am actually pretty um, a big proponent for myself for doing the mm-hmm. laying out the whole script first, and so I do like a super detailed outline, mm-hmm. and then that's pretty much what my big pitch was for IDW was for all six issues, the whole you know every all the beats, and then uh, and then for and then i script it out uh and then just do the whole thing and make sure it's working really well um and then i'll just start in on page one and go all the way through 
awesome. That's there. There feels like there has to be a lot to balance with this because you have to get the the cuteness of the the children's <laughs> book aspect of it, but also the the gruesomeness of the horror of it. What yeah. do you feel like it's harder to balance that on the writing side or the art side? Mm, I think it's. Hmm. It, I mean, so just to even like take a step back mm-hmm. with yes, a, a larger perspective of this question, like it hasn't been that hard of a balance for me. Like really? a lot of this stuff has come naturally. Um, and I've just been very pleased at how well it's been received. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> so like a lot of the, as I've, I mean, I would say with issue one, particularly, um, my editing team was was definitely like they helped me and made sure that we really leaned into the wholesomeness in the first half. Mm-hmm. And they were like, we can make this a little bit stronger even. And so um, we would, it was kind of sweet, turned up the dial. All the stuff was there, but we definitely like sweetened it a bit. And, and it worked really well. Um, mm-hmm. But the, because it gets dark and it's going to get a lot darker. Oh, and good. so. Um, <laughs> So, so I, um, I, but the thing is, is like, it's so sweet looking Mm -hmm. that it, I noticed that like, it works real well to just kind of balance everything. And then, and then I also have noticed that like the, so the other, I mean, like just in the comics world, a big corollary is uh, Black Sad. I don't know if you're familiar with the comic Black Sad. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, it's just another big, I mean, if you're into like people animal comics that aren't cutesy, like this is the one. Um, And so, uh, and his background uh, is, it's like Disney, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I think Juanjo Guarnino is like from, I think he worked in Disney uh, he's Spanish, I believe, yes. but had mm-hmm. gone to France and was working in France at Disney, I think. Um, and he, you can feel that in his faces. Oh, and, yeah. um, and I think that I think it works super well just because a lot of the noir drama is so gnarly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and I, and I, and by that same token, like, I think that a lot of that, you know, just the, the, weird world that I'm kind of showing all this in is so sweet that the, my natural tendency is the dark part. Mm -hmm. So like it, to throw it against this and relief against this real sweetness, it just works real well. And I'm happy that that worked out so (laughs) well, but, um, but it's just kind of out of like, I'm very pleased, but it hasn't, Mm -hmm. I haven't struggled too much with like being like, no, this is too much or whatever. I mean, you know, there, there's definitely like a concern about cover art being too gruesome. Mm -hmm. And so, which totally makes sense. Um, but in terms of the interior stuff, like I haven't gotten pushback on anything that I've done. Uh, and it's just been like, I've been treated really like I'm very lucky uh, with the team that I've been set up with and IDW in general, like it's been, it's just been really fortunate. Um, the only thing, honestly, that's been hard about this whole comic is just doing it, like just the work, you know, yeah. just sitting down at the table. Um, but, uh, but yeah. So hopefully, I don't know if that rambled, rambling. No, no, that was perfect. You actually was good, but I, you did steal one of my further questions though, because I sorry. was going to make, <laughs> but I was going to talk to you about Black Sad a little bit, but you answered it perfectly. <laughs> sorry, so. sorry. No, it's okay. You read my mind. It's fine. Um, yeah, <laughs> I I love that. I, I, I was going to ask about the research for this. And I, I realized, like, do you have to, like, do you have, like, a copy of, like, Berenstein Bears in one hand and, like, a copy of Serial Killer 
<laughs> um, biographies you know, on the other and just like look back and forth and be like okay yeah i can i can balance a lot that. of the um it's i mean i i guess because i worked in movies so much i still mm-hmm. kind of break things apart mm-hmm. uh, by department that way in my head so like the production designer part of my brain as i'm putting this together is very much like for whatever reason i wasn't explicit about this but i said it in the 80s um i don't know why but i just did it's in the 80s Mm-hmm. So, but, but I mean, like what, who knows, like what the animal world of the eighties is like, other than like, it obviously looks a lot like our eighties mm-hmm. as we remember them. Um, but, um, but a lot, honestly, like a lot of my like Pinterest board stuff or whatever is looking up all that stuff. Um, the is like, look and anatomy, mm-hmm. um, for like, oh. cause all the anatomical reference stuff is like pretty close to a human. They're basically just like the human mm-hmm. guts. Um, is what I'm using, but, um, unless it's very specifically animal specific, then I will, right. I will check those. Um, but, um, but yeah, but yeah, like it's, it is funny. Like I haven't done too much, like in terms of all the, the, the sort of storybook, um, Richard Scary corollary stuff like that is, I haven't had to look up any reference for that just because it's, um, I'm, I'm sort of kind of like concerned that i'm gonna ape too much stuff if i do that and it, and i don't want to copy that mm-hmm. like i don't i want it very much to be my own sort of take on that stuff um right. but the um but i've looked up like so many especially for samantha because samantha always wears fl- uh plaid like she's got like a flannel shirt on in mm-hmm. pretty much every scene and so like i've looked up so many like sears catalog flannels from like the 60s because mm-hmm. like everything's like 20 years earlier because she's like doesn't like new stuff um, so like, uh, so that's been a lot of my reference stuff, which has been kind of fun. I love that. Yeah. Sam is, um, where's only flannel. She is my new favorite, um, lesbian stereotype in comics. I love her. <laughs> no, <so do> I. <laughs> um, I'm glad to hear that. That was definitely, yeah. uh, that was the concern with making a story about a killer was just like, if we can get people to like her or not. Oh, I, <laughs> You, you you show me a, a happy bear that likes to kill people. I'm like, I'm here for it. <laughs> I'll, any, if the bear can do whatever the bear wants to do, it's a bear. And yeah. We got people to go see Cocaine Bear. We can get people to do <laughs> watch anything. <laughs> um, but talking about Sam and getting people to like her, um, mm. how do you get people to like a character that is inherently, you know, the bad guy? How do you get someone to relate to and want the serial killer to win sure because i feel like well i mean the other thing too is that the other uh, comparison along with the richard scary stuff that i've received is the Mm -hmm. like dexter as Mm -hmm. like a point of reference and so and that's fine and i mean to be honest i actually haven't seen dexter um but in terms of just like what this what it's about it's such a great reference point because it's like oh i get it it's like richard scary and dexter and so um the and I I mean I've seen like a couple episodes. I totally understand for the most part what a lot of the thing is. Um, and the big thing that I as I understand is that he also kills people who are basically like quote unquote evil people. Right. Um, and with Sam, I definitely wanted to make sure that she didn't make that discretion, and mm-hmm. that she and to her it makes a lot more sense just practically speaking to make it as random as possible. So like good people die in sam's you know practice and so that i very much wanted it to be as cold-blooded and sort of monstrous in that regard as possible (laughs) and so like to sort of further 
muddy the waters of how do you get somebody to like such a like <laughs> a cold-blooded character um i very much enjoy watching people not necessarily killers per se but like you know anybody else in their professional day-to-day when they're doing what they're good at mm-hmm. i find that stuff fascinating um and so it's just it's just watching the practiced thing that comes from somebody just being really good at what they do and like that type of stuff is inc- like i love it and so i was very much like well i need to have i need you know i need to f- have somebody who's really good at what they do and and also has this sort of compelling running narrative i was kind of on the fence whether or not to have a narrative when i was first putting it together writing wise and i was like i think you need one because you need to have some peak underneath the roiling mm-hmm. you know stuff so that uh, underneath this calm surface because like we don't like we we kind of need to <laughs> to get a, a glimpse of the thought process because that's part of the fascinating you know as to what what's driving her um and then on top of that too i felt that if if you could take the sort of like scary but you know interesting character um, and then to just have that whatever careful life they've kind of put together completely turned upside down uh, and then watch them scramble as they try and put it together. I think that's always um, solid gold for getting the audience on your side. So like, cause, I mean, everybody, you know, who's going to pick up this book has had their life messed up. So, um, you know, when I think that's just an, uh, like that's evergreen for me. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh it's also, you know, it's like the, it's like Norman Bates, you know, everybody's rooting for the car to go under the water. And when it kind of has that hiccup, everybody's like, Oh, I hope it goes under the water so he doesn't get caught. <laughs> and you're like, you know, if anybody doesn't know, it's, you know, psycho Alfred Hitchcock, you're with Norman mm-hmm. Bates, the killer. And, uh, you know, by the time you get towards the middle, towards the end, you're sort of on his side because you're, you've invested. I guess that's, part, that's what it is. You're invested. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. It's like, you know, saying like Breaking Bad, um, except that's a way slower version of it. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah, I think that was that was my main strategy. Awesome. I, I, I really like it. And I, I really think it works. I remember when I was in um, <laughs> writing class in college, that was the one thing they really like pushed on. So it was like, you have to make the, the character relatable somehow. And yeah. I love the idea. It's just like, it's it's interesting enough and that makes it relatable and that makes it something you want to follow and yeah that's it's perfect sam is a a wonderful character um but there's a lot of other fun side characters in this (laughs) in this beautiful town can you tell us a little bit about um how i i love the idea that like whenever you do like animal comics the animal you pick will always say a little bit about the character did you kind of follow that rule here or did you just kind of go with whatever feels right for designing them i definitely leaned into that because it felt Mm -hmm. like i mean like especially in this setup you're just leaving those you're leaving those on the table if you if you don't you Mm -hmm. know work with them you know what i mean and it felt like such a great thing to work with i mean even if it's too it's opposite you're at least playing on it um, and, uh, you know, I feel like that's such a wonderful thing about the animal anthropomorphic sort of setup. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, it's also like, I mean, it's such a, I don't know, it's funny. I'm not necessarily, you know, uh, uh, uh only about anthropomorphic stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but it is like, it, I'm super grateful that this story in particular ended up has 
been received as well as it has. Um, but, uh, but it is like, it's one of those things where I don't know if, um, I don't know if this story is going to get continued or not. I don't know if I'll, I'll, you know, ever do anything else like this. So if this is my one chance at like doing like a story that's going to make mm-hmm. it out and be seen or what I had read uh, sort of widely, then I'm definitely going to throw in all the stuff that I can. Nice. I love that. I love that mentality. Do you have a favorite side character that you've, you've done so far that you're excited for us to either meet or the one that we've met already? Um, let me think. I think we've met everybody. Well, I mean, issue two, I think by the end of issue two, you've met everybody. So, um, so you got to wait to see issue two. Um, but I mean, like there, let's see, in terms of my favorite, I don't even know. I, it's a toss up. And even in just issue one, they're in issue one. It's a toss up between Birdie and Charlie. And so mm-hmm. Birdie is, uh, is the turtle. Um, and he's, like, I don't even know what he does. <laughs> like, everybody else, I figured out their jobs. I have no idea what Birdie does. Um, but he uh, he's a total sweetheart. Everybody's basically a sweetheart uh, for the most part. Um, but um, but Birdie is just like, he's always got a really good attitude. Uh, and as a turtle, I feel like he might have a lot of things that he has to struggle with that other people don't realize in terms of just Mm -hmm. mobility issues and things like that. And so like, um, he's just always got a good attitude though. And I gave him our dog. So, uh, his dog anchovy is actually our dog. Um, and then, um, and then I've been trying to put anchovy in everything, but are we actually anchovy? And this is sad, but like anchovy passed away. Oh, uh, sorry to hear that. Thank you. Uh, in May. And so, and we're recording this in November, um, but um, I was I was actually drawing issue two like right after she passed, and so I was just like immortalizing our dog and gave her to Birdie, and so I was like, I, so I think he, yeah, I think he might be my fave, but Charlie's like a sec, a real close second, um, only because he is, uh, he's just like he's the shopkeep assistant. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the only other employee of the hardware shop and he is just again because he's a mole is just like horribly blind <laughs> like he's like <laughs> legally not allowed to drive mm-hmm. um, and his whole family's like that <laughs> so I mean there's a part of it that Sam keeps him around because he can't see a lot of the stuff that like <laughs> might incriminate her or whatever <laughs> Um, so, and she leans into that or like she can fudge mm-hmm. inventory stuff, uh, because she uses, uh, that's the part of the reason why she has the hardware shop. She uses everything that she mm-hmm. has at the hardware shop for her stuff. So the, um, and she can fudge like, you know, uh, numbers on stuff and Charlie just has no idea. Um, so there's something really bittersweet about that because he just loves, he just thinks she's her, you know, she's his friend and. And he gets, he's doing a good job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's something just really, um, there's just really sad, but really sweet about that. that I love. Yeah. I, I love the depth and complexity you've given everyone here. <laughs> and I am for everyone at home. I'm so excited for you to get to read issue two when you get to meet my favorite side character so far. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Is it cherry? It is cherry fucking yeah. gherkins. I yeah, love her. Cherry gherkins. <laughs> um, I was real excited about cherry. Mm-hmm. Um, 
as I'd mentioned, everybody in town's basically as sweet and wholesome as you would want. And I just needed somebody to completely be a raging asshole. And, um, and I wanted that to be cherry. Um, who is on the cover of issue two, that's cherry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like, um, there was definitely, uh, a realness that cherry brings to Woodbrook that is, um, a lot more uh, common, I think, in real life as we know it than than what the, a lot of the rest of Woodbrook is. Um, and so, yeah, that was definitely, uh, I felt like that was something very specifically needed. And like, she is, um, she's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I can't talk too much about what she's got going on, but like, uh, uh, just, to, mm-hmm. just to avoid spoilers. But Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I was very excited uh, when she showed up and, and everybody else seemed to be pretty into her. Oh, yeah. And I, I think she's going to be, people are going to love her very much. My my last question before we go is I just wanted to talk a little bit about, um, you You worked in this book a little bit with um, Hassan Atzmain Olahu. Um, I think that's how you say his last name. I'm so sorry, Hassan, if you're listening. He was actually on the show um, a little earlier this year. So we've we've talked to him a bit. He's a great guy. How has it been working with him and getting to see his letters with your artwork? Oh yeah, Haas is awesome. He is. Um, I mean, he's one of my favorite letterers working, bar none. Mm-hmm. Like his work is stellar, and I uh, was floored when he said he would do the book because I haven't done anything. <laughs> like I have. <laughs> like I'm, I'm just. You know what I mean? I mean. Oh yeah. I, you know, I, I was just like, I mean, they were like, well, who would you like to try and get to letter this? And I was like, I mean, who can we ask? Can I ask anybody? <laughs> because like, I didn't, <laughs> I mean, I didn't know if he would even, I mean, like consider it at all or, or what, um, just because, yeah, I'm very, uh, you know, unknown and I, um, and he's prolific as hell. So like, uh, I just, you know, and like I mentioned, I mean, his work is just incredible. I think his work is so incredible specifically because he's such a thoughtful artist. And so like, and I mean, as you know, cause you talked with him and he was on your show and your listeners know as well, it's just like his work with like strip panel naked and panel, panel by panel, mm-hmm. like all that stuff is such a, um, uh, welcome part of the comic co- like conversation. Um, I think that like, it's, in particular, like it's he represents one of my favorite things in any sort of um uh uh field of art or whatever in terms of that stuff where it's just appreciation for it and it's enthusiasm for it that makes you even if you are looking at the thing that you don't even know if you like or understand mm-hmm. after having them talk to you about it, you're like, I need to find out and see if I love this too. Like I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah. like that type of enthusiasm uh and critical look at stuff mm-hmm. is invaluable like i love that stuff and so and i think the part of the reason why he's so great at lettering is that he is just constantly um engaging with the work uh on a very thoughtful level and and what he brings to it complements what's already there so well that it forms to create an even greater thing um, and I love that he is um, very into auditioning stuff in his passes on the lettering, where it's like, um, it'll just be like little touches here and there 
of, you know, like you'll have a moment like a drama beat happening and then he'll toss in like sort of a grumbling. It'll be like a dialogue balloon, but it's just like grumbles. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just like kind of like scribbles in it. Um, And there's nothing like that indicated necessarily, but the, but the, the, that emotion is it's there. And he just does these great little touches to bring everything out. So, um, so yeah, it was a total treat. I honestly didn't, I thought he was going to pass when we asked him. So when he said, yes, I was totally over the moon about it. Uh, and then, yeah, everything I've gotten from him so far is like always awesome. Yeah. That doesn't surprise me. And it's, <laughs> it's blown me away. It's, he was the the first letter who like just listening to him talk is the first time I actually started like, Oh, I, I get what I'm supposed to be looking for now. I understand. So sure. it's fantastic. I'm, I'm so glad you got that opportunity. And, I'm glad this book is killing it. Um, Thanks. Before before we go, um, is there anything else that you would like to um, to plug, or where can people find you online? Uh, I mean, you can always find me on Twitter at Patrick Horvath. Um, I'm on Instagram. I'm also on uh, Blue Sky and Patrick Horvath too. If anybody's in there, I'm like barely mm-hmm. on there, but I'm just covering my bases. Right. Um, I'm also <laughs> on Instagram at Catbird Planet because Patrick Horvath was taken, and that's fine. And um, and that's about it. And you can always find me at patrickhorvath.com. Uh, I was very lucky that my name address still existed. So I yoinked that. Nice. Um, and it's an easy place to find me. I also have like a sub stack where I kind of realized like once the further social media scattering has happened, like it's just maybe having a newsletter that shows up in your inbox would be easier if you want to keep up. Mm-hmm. So um, I have that option too. Well, it's it's all incredible thank you again so much for being with us today patrick it's it's been a pleasure to get to talk to you um, thank you for everyone listening um be beneath the trees where nobody sees number two is out on december 6th i believe I so think it might be december 13th it might be december 13th either way <laughs> you should get to your local comic shop today the moment you hear this go right yes. now get it pre-ordered Order it for yourself. Order it for like your small cousin. They're going to love the cute animals. Um, doesn't matter. Just buy, <laughs> buy a few copies of the book. It's going to be great. I'm sure n- no one's going to end up traumatized. It'll be fine. Um, the other thing too is the um, the first uh, issue got a second printing. And so, um, and I believe that's why it ended up going to December 13th because I think, because it's all, I think IDW goes through Penguin Random House. But anyway, they mm-hmm. wanted to c- make sure it all came out the same day. Um, oh, okay. So you can pick up second printing issue one and issue two, I think, uh, December 13th. It's the, per- <laughs> it's the perfect double package. It's it's awesome. <laughs> no better gift for Christmas um, or whatever <laughs> holiday you celebrate in December. I love it. Thank um, you. It's a great stocking stuffer, truly. Your, your grandma will love it. Um, that is all we have today. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye.